so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. Welcome to the ERLC podcast, where our goal is to help you think biblically about today's cultural issues. I'm Lindsay Nicolay, and on today's episode, we're going to take a break from our series on gender and sexuality to talk about the public policy work of the ERLC. Many of our listeners have expressed a desire to better understand the ERLC's public policy work. September is the perfect time to share about this area of our ministry assignment because it's an important month in our nation's capital and a busy time for our DC team specifically. Today, Hannah Daniel, our ERLC policy manager who works in our nation's capital, and our president, Brent Leatherwood, will break down the what, how, and why of our DC advocacy. Many people may not realize that the ERLC has a full-time presence in Washington, DC nor are they aware of the scope of our work. To help us understand some of the fundamentals of representing Southern Baptists on the Hill, one of our podcast producers, Jill Wagner, talked to Brent Leatherwood. What is the ERLC? What do we do here? The ERLC is when we are talking to the man on the street, we tend to describe ourselves as the public policy arm of the Southern Baptist Convention. But what that means on a practical level is we speak both for and from our churches. And I use that purposely because we can only effectively speak in the public square for our churches if we are actually operating and working alongside and serving our churches. I like to tell people it is from that service that we're rendering to our churches that we're able to effectively speak on the issues of the day, the issues that our churches are dealing with, or the issues that may affect their ability to do ministry. We have been doing this for over 100 years now. And I like to remind folks that this institution, the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, even though I guess over that century, it hasn't always been known by that name, it has always sought to be a voice that represents the principles of our convention of churches, whether that's policymakers, whether it is to the media. We're always trying to make sure that we are bringing the thoughts and the cares and the principles that guide our churches to the issues of the day. So there are a lot of groups in D.C. advocating for their various policy concerns. What is so unique about the ERLC and our role on Capitol Hill? The best way I think I can answer that question is from an experience I had last summer on Capitol Hill. 
we were invited into a meeting with a U.S. senator who was looking forward at that point to the post-Roe moment when there would be no more Roe versus Wade. And this U.S. senator was saying, look, I've brought you here to this meeting because I really want to map out what actual pro-family policy will look like. And I want you as representatives of the ERLC to be here because I look at you and I know that you are guided by eternal and unchanging truths. And I can't say that about a number of other organizations that do good work in Washington, but oftentimes they are driven by political items, the political calendar, or maybe even sometimes political expediency. And knowing that a U.S. senator recognizes that about the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, frankly, that's the best kind of, I think, endorsement that I could offer here, because it shows that we are different than a number of our peers. And again, a lot of our peers do really good work, but oftentimes they want to do that work and they want to immediately turn it into fundraising appeals or trying to get, you know, some sort of grassroots activism. And instead we're coming because we're saying, this is what our pastors care about. This is what Southern Baptists have said they care about. This is what the Bible has to say about this. And that really resonates with those policymakers because they have a number of activists and lobbyists in their ear at any given time. But when they invite us to the table, they know that they're getting something that has a much longer range view in mind. So just in broad terms, what do we hope to accomplish with our policy work? Well, at a basic level, we want to make this a better world. We Obviously, we live in this time between times. We live in a fallen world that is racked by sin. But, you know, this term gets used a lot, kingdom work. That is, in a sense, what we're doing because we are trying to point policymakers towards a better world. And that kingdom that we learn about in Scripture actually has principles that can be enacted now. And so I would say that that's what we're driving for. It's a hope-filled kind of work, but knowing that at the end of the day for eternal flourishing, one needs to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I think that also, it's important to point that out because at the end of the day, in a conversation with a member of Congress or a staff member for a senator or some other representative from the committees on Capitol Hill, we may not get policy X, Y, or Z, but you never know how those conversations are allowing you to plant gospel seeds in that person's life. And so that really underlies the work that we do, whether it's at the federal, the state, or the local level. Are we always being attuned to how the Lord might be opening an avenue to spread the gospel. And um, I just, I never want to diminish that or or forget that because I, I do think in many respects, the work that we do on Capitol Hill 
or in the policy arena is in many ways akin to missional work. We are missionaries in the public square. And so I think that's an important aspect for the work that we do here at the URLC. September is an important time in our government because the end of the month marks the deadline for some important legislation called appropriation bills. You might hear about this work each year in terms of avoiding a government shutdown. And the ERLC plays an important advocacy role in this legislative process. Here's Hannah Daniel to explain appropriations and why these bills matter. So appropriations are the mechanism by which we fund the government. And so government funding runs out on September 30th. And at that point, Congress has to pass 12 appropriations bills that fund different parts of the government. And so this is how our taxpayer dollars are spent. This is how all of the government agencies are funded, government programs are funded, is through what we call appropriations. So you can kind of think of this as government spending. So the appropriations process is something that actually takes almost the whole year. How this should work is that the president in the early spring submits his proposed budget to Congress. From there, the House and the Senate would begin drafting each of these 12 appropriations bills that fund the different parts of the government. Those would then be passed through the Appropriations Committee. They would pass the House floor. Then they would go through that same process in the Senate. Then ultimately, they would go to the president's desk, all hopefully before September 30th when the fiscal year ends. However, that is not often how it really does work. So what tends to happen is that the president submits his request. It is largely ignored. And then the House and Senate each began working on different versions of those 12 bills. And for this year, because Republicans control the House of Representatives and Democrats control the Senate, those bills look very, very different. It's a very messy process, but it's one that's really important because this is how our taxpayer dollars are being spent. Trillions of dollars are being allocated. And so we want to have a say in how that money is being spent and what it's going towards. Every year, the ERLC engages in the appropriations process pretty heavily. So we do a comprehensive review of all 24 of these bills, both the 12 House bills and 12 Senate bills. We wade through thousands and thousands of pages of legislative text, really combing through and looking for anything of concern. Specifically, we're looking for issues where government funding could be going to an abortion provider or to fund gender transition procedures or policies that could implicate the consciences of medical professionals or taxpayers. So those are the things that we're looking for. We're also trying to find what are some um, really positive things that we can support as well. When negotiators are down to the wire and they're trying to decide what gets into a compromise package, we want them to know these are the priorities of Southern Baptist, and we want them to be able to include those in that final package. So after we do our review, we make sure that those concerns and priorities are communicated to people on Capitol Hill, especially those who are involved in those negotiations. So in this year's bill specifically, one really positive thing was that the Hyde Amendment and other similar what we call Hyde family writers are present in both the House and Senate bills. For the last two years, the initially proposed bills have excluded these really important protections 
that prohibit government funding from going towards abortion and protect consciences of taxpayers. So we were really excited to see those be included because that is just a a necessary baseline level of protection for those things that we care about. Beyond that issue, though, we continue to see workarounds to those protections, both domestically and internationally, where money is going to abortion providers, which allows them to use that government funding for all of their non-abortion expenses. So if we're thinking about someone like Planned Parenthood, they're able to use government funding to keep the lights on, to pay staff, to pay their building expenses, which then allows them to use all of their other funding streams to perform abortions. And so we're continuing to see money going to these kind of providers and um, even an increased amount. So that's something we're really concerned about and we'll definitely be advocating against. Additionally, the House proposed bills contain some really positive things in regards to stopping payment for abortion travel, stopping payment for gender transition procedures. So we'll also be advocating for things like that to make it into a final package. In addition to the appropriations process, Congress has some other priorities that are of concern to Southern Baptists. Hannah sheds light on a few things that her team is watching closely right now. So Congress has been out on a pretty lengthy recess through the month of August, and they are coming back in September with quite a long list of things to do. In addition to funding the government, uh, which is definitely the top priority for them, they also have to pass what's called the National Defense Authorization Act, or you could hear it described as the NDAA. And what this does is it funds and gives direction to our armed forces. And the House and Senate have both already passed different versions of this bill, but those have to be reconciled through a process called conferencing. This is where selected negotiators from each chamber and party come together and reconcile the differences between the two bills. In the NDAA, there were a few things in the House passed version that we were really excited about and are hoping to see in the final version. These deal with preventing government funding from being used for paid leave and travel for a service woman to obtain an abortion, as well as a prohibition on government funding being used for gender transition services. And then there's also some positive provisions around paid family leave that we are hoping to see included in a final package there. In addition to the NDAA, there's a lot of energy right now around protecting children online. I think parents and educators are all becoming more aware of just how dangerous it is for children online and how lacking our current protections are in many ways for them. There's a lot of different bills being floated around and discussed that touch on this issue. It's very bipartisan. So I'll definitely be watching to see if Congress can unify around any particular proposal and eventually get it over the finish line. And then one other thing that the ERLC is watching this fall is the Afghan Adjustment Act. This is centered around Afghans who were brought to the United States after the fall of Afghanistan just a little over two years ago. You probably remember that it was just very tragic and fell very quickly. And because of that, um, these Afghans primarily were people who had worked with our military and were allies while we were in Afghanistan. They were brought here under a tool called humanitarian parole, which 
allows them to move much faster than through the refugee resettlement process, but it has some drawbacks as well. One of those major drawbacks is that it is only a temporary two-year status. And the Biden administration has allowed these individuals to extend that status a little bit, but ultimately it is up to Congress to pass a permanent fix that allows them to adjust to a more permanent status here. Right now, they're at risk of losing their work authorization and ultimately could be deported back to Afghanistan if something is not done quickly. And so many of our churches were on the front lines in welcoming these Afghans to our communities, helping them be settled into our communities, our churches, help them find housing and work. And so we definitely want to see something done here that's able to provide permanency to our Afghan neighbors. So that's something else that we'll be watching this fall and hope to see it get passed. While we talk about the ERLC advocating on behalf of Southern Baptists, it's not always clear or obvious as to how we go about that advocacy. Hannah describes what it looks like from day to day. When we are doing advocacy on a daily basis, whether that's in appropriations or in other contexts and on other issues that we care about, we have a lot of tools in our toolbox that we can use to help lawmakers better understand the perspective of Southern Baptists. We are here to help them better understand why these things matter to us, why it's important for not just our communities, but also the the broader communities that we exist in. We want to see all people flourish and good policy allows people to do that. And so we are able to try to communicate that through letters that we'll send to lawmakers. We also can work in coalitions with other partners who are like-minded on our issues and kind of bolster our influence through working together. We will meet with members of Congress and their staff, helping educate them on these issues and then also advocating for them to take positive actions or to push back on bad policy. So there's a lot of different ways we can do advocacy and each situation, each issue often requires something a little bit different. Jeremiah 29.7 says to the exiled Israelites, but seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. This verse sheds light on our public policy work at the ERLC. The pace in D.C. can be a grind, and the work we do can be taxing, and it can take years to see meaningful progress. So why do we persevere? As Southern Baptists, we really do care about these issues of life and religious liberty, marriage, family, human dignity, really seeing the flourishing of all of our neighbors, and that even is reflected in appropriations. As a nation, our spending reflects what we care about, and we want to see our spending as a nation, our taxpayer dollars being used in a way that promotes good things, that protects life and religious liberty and helps our neighbors to flourish. And so we have to engage in this process in order to make it one that promotes those kinds of things. And we can't just sit on the sidelines and then say, oh, I I wish that our dollars were being spent differently. We have to engage in order to see lives be protected, to hold on to those important religious liberty protections and to push back against bad policies. 
Although this is the task the messengers of the Southern Baptist Convention have given to the ERLC, we can't do this work alone. Our convention is founded on cooperation, and we need you and our churches to partner with us. Here are a few ideas about how you can join us. I think the first and foremost way is through prayer. I know that we in our DC office here covet your prayers as we meet with lawmakers and work with partners. We pray constantly that the Lord would give us favor in our meetings and that we would be able to use influence wisely and in a way that serves the church. And so we just would love your prayers for us as well as for our lawmakers who are really having to deal with so many complicated issues. They have a lot on their plates. And we are just praying that they would be wise in how they deal with these issues and would come to take action on things that are difficult, even if that requires some political courage. Another thing I would say is that we would love to hear from you. It's always helpful when we are going to meet with a member of Congress or their staff to be able to say, you know, this is an issue that Southern Baptists really care about. And it's helpful for us to be able to point to conversations that we've had with you to underscore the realities of how this is impacting your life, how this is impacting your church and your community, why this is something that you care about. And so I would love for you to partner with us in those ways. And then I also would say that you always have the ability to call your member of Congress, both your state and local legislatures as well. But your members of Congress are here to serve you ultimately. And it is helpful when you're able to call and say, hey, I care about this issue. I want to raise my voice in that way. That's something that you have the power to do. And it is my hope that the resources that we produce at the ERLC, that we are giving you the tools to be able to do that well. Politics is rife with conflict, chaos, and confusion in our society. And this has even crept its way into our churches and how Christians are interacting in the public square. And while politics is important, it's not ultimate. Here's Brent with a needed reminder about the mission of the ERLC and an encouragement to our listeners. I think it is easy to look at the ministry assignment of the ERLC and any number of initiatives that we have done throughout our history. So everything from the beginning with the temperance movement, the work that was done under Dr. Valentine and Dr. Land and Dr. Russell Moore. And I think it's easy to get caught up in looking at us and the work we do as political in nature. I would say, don't get wrapped up in that. Be informed about it, which I hope we are able to do effectively, which is keep our Southern Baptist brothers and sisters informed and appropriately engaged so that if there really is something that is urgent, they will know that. But the the reason that I don't want them to get wrapped up in it is because that just becomes idolatry by another name. And it's a roundabout way of saying, keep Scripture first. Keep your relationship with the Lord first and foremost in your life. Because I think when you keep these things properly ordered— It actually helps you to be a more effective leader in your congregation, leader in your community. My predecessor used to say, I'm an American best when I'm a Christian first. And I think that's absolutely accurate. 
So let's keep the Bible first and foremost, because too often in our modern day culture here in America, we we end up compartmentalizing our life. Like, okay, we've got the gospel over here and we've got my personal life over here. We've got my work life over here. And a lot of times we do this and I've got my political life over here. And I think we need to make sure that the gospel is actually running through all of that first. Because when we don't do that, when we get when we get off kilter and we start segmenting our life in these different ways, that's where we can we can start building these idols. And so I hope that we are able to model for our our listeners that we are about the gospel first at the RLC. Mm-hmm. And we're about taking the gospel to people who've never heard it before. And that's really what drives us, more so than any particular policy item. And so I hope that we're able to model that for them effectively. And I hope that our listeners are actually able to duplicate that in their own lives, in their own contexts, in their own congregations, and in their own communities. That's the heart of the ERLC, taking the good news of Jesus Christ to the lost. As we represent the interest of Southern Baptists before our legislators, our ultimate concern is to help shape a society where the gospel is freely proclaimed, people are free to respond, and the principles of God's word are put into action. When vulnerable lives are protected, the needy are cared for, and our society's foundational institutions are flourishing, the wisdom and beauty of God's ways are on display to our neighbors. Join us next time as we jump back into our series on gender and sexuality and trace the changing cultural landscape that led to the sexual revolution. The ERLC podcast is a production of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. It's produced by Jill Wagner, Lindsay Nicolay, and Elizabeth Bristow. Technical production is provided by Owens Productions. It's edited and mixed by Mark Owens. Thanks for listening, and we're looking forward to being back together with you next time. 